Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Legal Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things that you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Departing from our regular format, uh, we first want to uh, congratulate and commend the uh, North Carolina Central University football team for its thrilling victory in the nationally televised Celebration Bowl last weekend over the previously undefeated Jackson State University. This uh, victory cemented an outstanding 10-win season and the crowning of NCCU as a winner of a national football bowl. So we are proud of uh, our athletes and uh, uh, taking a little time to crow uh, about it because it might not happen again. But anyway, (laughs) Merry Christmas to uh, those of you who are now winding down your Christmas celebration activities, along with the many families, which uh, include many African-Americans who are also preparing to celebrate Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, which was created by Maulana Karinga in 1966 as a cultural holiday, which seeks to commemorate and celebrate the heritage and accomplishments of African-Americans. The creation of Kwanzaa was an appropriate addition to the revolutionary spirit and activities of the 1960s Black Power Movement and sought to promote an understanding and appreciation for the development of an enduring African-American cultural and family heritage. Participation in Kwanzaa-related activities has grown steadily since 1966 and has survived in the face of strong objections from some who initially viewed the celebration as an attempt to replace the accepted gift-giving Christmas (coughs) celebration that uh, many of you are presently engaged in. On this show, we are going to take a break from our normal legal discussion and talk about Kwanzaa. And joining us for this discussion are Mary Wright, a former professor at NCCU School of Law and a former dean at that uh, law school, along with uh, Leonard Dunstan, who is president emeritus of the National Association of Black Social Workers, a board member of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, and the national convener of the Black Family Summit. These are two veterans of the civil rights and black power days. So we are really happy to have them on this evening to talk about this really uh, exciting topic of Kwanzaa. So uh, good to have you here. Thank Thank you, you. it's good to be here. Yes. Let's, uh, Kwanzaa was created in 1960 during the civil rights and black power movement. Let me just ask uh, each of you, and we'll start with uh, with Dean Wright. What was it about that time period that facilitated the creation 
of a holiday highlighting Black culture and uh, family achievement. During the 60s, um, there was, um, I guess, an, an elevated uh, effort on our parts to, um, to reconnect um, with our uh, brothers and sisters on the continent, uh, to discover or rediscover who we uh, are. And there was a lot of um, pride efforts to um, begin to learn more about our cultural roots. And uh, you mentioned, of course, that, that Kwanzaa is a cultural celebration. And so it was an ideal time to come up with an event that focused on our culture. And as um, Milana Karenga says uh, in his book, uh, The African-American Holiday um, Kwanzaa, that that is the only um, indigenous, indigenous to this country, uh, African-American holiday that is uh, not focused on, uh, it's not heroic, it's not political, it's not religious, uh, but that is cultural. And so to me, it was a perfect fit for uh, what was going on with us during the 60s. Okay. And Lenny, let's uh, hear from you to talk about uh, the uh, creation of this holiday. Yeah, I concur with uh, Professor Wright. Uh, the 60s, and especially during this period of time, uh, we were at the zenith almost of uh, the Black Power movement. For those of us who were involved uh, in struggle at that juncture, uh, just the creation of uh, this model was uh, extremely timely because it uh, gave us an opportunity to focus on uh, the family in a way that uh, we had not done uh, previously. So just from that perspective alone, uh, I, I think that uh, its timeliness uh, can never be uh, measured or overstated. What, what, what does Kwanzaa mean? The, the, the word it, itself, that's a Swahili term, and I know a lot of our listeners uh, don't speak Swahili, uh, nor do they understand it. So can you kind of explain to us the, uh, the importance and meaning of the uh, word uh, Kwanzaa? Uh, Dean Wright, you want to start with that one again? Uh, so Kwanzaa uh, is a key Swahili term that means uh, first fruits or first fruits of the harvest. And it's um, again, centered around um, the harvest celebrations uh, that took place in, in various communities on the continent. And so it has a, a special significance uh, and it was chosen by uh, uh, Dr. Karenga for that connection to traditional African celebrations that were centered around the harvest, the harvest season and the harvest celebrations. Lenny? Yeah, uh, and uh, he chose uh, the Kiswahili word, uh, a language I rather, because it was primarily uh, an Eastern part of uh, Africa and uh, Swahili was uh, the more prevalent language that was uh, uh, universal, for lack of a better term, for that area. 
And uh, as uh, the professor said, uh, first fruit and the harvesting was a concept that uh, was not uh, um, something that was foreign to uh, those communities in that of that of that region. So uh, Dr. Karinger felt that this would be uh, an excellent way of of demonstrating uh, how we should uh, celebrate uh, during this time. Well, let, let me, oh, now, yeah, because I, I mentioned earlier that you, the two of you are, are veterans of those days. Uh, that means that you were alive and you were active uh, during, uh, during that time. And those were uh, not only uh, challenging uh, times, but uh, a lot of uh, education and uh, uh, revelations occurred. Why, Lenny, was, was uh, Kwanzaa? Uh, attractive to you, and what drove you into accepting that as uh, as a celebratory moment that you wanted to uh, participate in uh, during that time? Well, let me let me back up and just sort of uh, do a historical piece uh, personally. Uh, I was introduced to uh, Kwanzaa through a friend, and I think you or would know him. Uh, brother by the name of uh, Setu, we called him uh, Jim Dyson. Uh, he and I were army buddies. We met uh, in the military. And uh, when we were discharged, we all both went back to, uh, to New York. Uh, and uh, he was involved with an organization at that time called The East. And uh, we, uh, he invited me to come over, my wife and I, to come over to uh, The East Cultural Center I remember distinctly, it was 55 years ago, uh, December the 28th of this year, we'll make 55 years ago that I first, uh, we first attended our first Kwanzaa. And it was through Jim Dyson and uh, also the work of uh, Al Van and uh, G2 uh, Wausi, who came out of uh, that whole Ocean Hill Brownsville uh, struggle around school control and the like. So the timing of it uh, was very, uh, was very, was just what my wife and I at that time needed. And I always have to say at that time, because my wife is now uh, an ancestor, so I have to always bring her into these conversations. But it was timely for us. Uh, it, was ex it was the kind of cultural celebration that uh, we were looking for. And it complemented the work that we were all doing at that time. Uh, so that's that's my memory of uh, the first uh, celebration of Kwanzaa that we participated in. And here it is now, uh, as I said a second ago, 55 years later, and we are still celebrating uh, Kwanzaa as a family. As a matter of fact, uh, there were three families that uh, we connected with while we lived in New York. And uh, as a matter of fact, we are preparing to go back up to New York uh, the 28th and 29th of this month and participate in these same family get-togethers. Uh, we moved from one home to the other uh, three week, three days out of uh, the week to celebrate uh, Kwanzaa. So it's just a part of, uh, it's become a part of my life. Uh, it's become a part of my family life. Uh, our children, for example, uh, it was kind of awkward for them at, at the outset because uh, they felt that they were being deprived, for the lack of a better word, of uh, some activities because 
And I'm not in any way denigrating anyone who celebrates Christmas because that was not the intent of Dr. Karinga was to make this a competition with Christmas. But we never, for example, bought them gifts during Christmas. Instead, we would wait until Kwanzaa to buy them books and go to different, uh, I remember distinctly, we always take them to the Black Liberation Bookstore, 132nd Street and Lenox Avenue. And the owner of that particular bookstore knew them from the time that they were kids, babies, literally. And so I'm gonna stop there and just say that it is something that is extremely special to me because it reaffirms that uh, culture is so, so important to us as African people. Mm -hmm. Ms. Mary? Okay, so um, I um, grew up in a, a rural uh, community in Eastern North Carolina. And so uh, the news of Kwanzaa didn't get to us uh, early. Okay, so it, it was a while before I uh, became aware of um, the Kwanzaa holiday. And um, actually my first time celebrating Kwanzaa was um, after I moved to Durham when I started uh, work at, at Central. And that was when I attended my first uh, Kwanzaa celebration. And um, it was a community celebration. And so, and of course, uh, I was just really taken by just the atmosphere, the program, you know, the ceremonial aspect of it with the libations. Um, and so from that point on, as a matter of fact, after that, I, I became involved with the community group, the Emoja group, which for years uh, was responsible for the community Kwanzaa in Durham. So both of you have, have um, shared kind of your, your history with Kwanzaa, and thank you for that. And you've talked about the celebrations that you, that you went to. Um, now, Kwanzaa spans seven days. We'll get into the specifics of the individual principles, but to begin, can you kind of talk about, provide an overview of the seven-day holiday that is Kwanzaa? And Mary, if we could start with you. Okay, so um, one of the things that Dr. Karenga talks about in his book uh, in terms of just fashioning how Kwanzaa would work, he studied a number of the harvest celebrations uh, in various parts of the continent. And he talked about how those celebrations tended to center around about seven days. There were some that were a little over seven days. There were some that uh, were as short as possibly three days, but um, he uh, settled on the seven days because he felt that that was, you know, a, a good time frame for getting through the various principles uh, surrounding Kwanzaa. So just in terms of that overview, it's a time uh, that that seven days is a time for family for and for community uh, to come together and to uh, reflect, to reaffirm, to honor the ancestors, and to uh, look forward to what they will do in the upcoming year. This is the uh, Legal Legal Review. And uh, we are talking with uh, Mary Wright, a uh, former professor at uh, NCCU School of Law and uh, the former dean, along with uh, Lena Dunstan, who is the uh, president emeritus of the uh, National Association of Black Social Workers 
He's a board member of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, and he is the current national convener of the uh, Black Family uh, Summit. And we're talking about uh, Kwanzaa, uh, the uh, holiday for uh, African-American uh, culture and family history and heritage. We're going to take a break uh, right now. We want you to stay with us as we uh, continue this uh, this discussion. So we'll be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCC Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to, one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, where we are continuing our discussions about Kwanzaa. And this is a uh, cultural and family-oriented uh, holiday uh, created by uh, Dr. Milana Karinga uh, in 1966. Uh, it is uh, one uh, that has uh, grown uh, over the years and continues uh, today without government sanction. Uh, and we are proud of the opportunity to uh, uh, talk, talk about uh, this uh, holiday. We, we, we ended up uh, talking about the importance and significance of the seven days of uh, celebration uh, that begins the uh, day after uh, Christmas and continues through uh, the, uh, the new year. Uh, so, uh, Lenny, can you kind of just you know, from your perspective, talk about the importance of it being a seven-day uh, event uh, that that makes up what is uh, the Kwanzaa celebration, which ends with uh, the big party. Yeah, well, Dr. Karinga refers to it as the uh, Nguza Saba, or the uh, seven principles of, uh, of Kwanzaa. And I think it's, uh, again, interesting and uh, significant because it, it allows for the family and the community to uh, come together and have conversations and uh, events that bring the community and the family together. 
And if you, I, 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 I think this was he, he was brilliant in that it, you can use one principle each day, for example, to uh, just discuss uh, a particular principle. Uh, for example, the first principle being umoja or unity. And uh, as a family, you can sit, you can, you know, uh, have a discussion about what does unity mean for you and your family. Or if it's a community gathering, then you can uh, use that particular uh, principle to uh, elicit from those who are gathered to celebrate that particular event or day rather, uh, get a, some, some consensus, not consensus, but uh, get various views about what does uh, umoja, for example, or unity, what does that really mean for us as a community? How can we uh, use that principle to strengthen our community? So, and if you go down the line and use that every day, then I think you can see the value of why the Nguza Saba is so uh, significant and how it undergirds the whole concept of, uh, of Kwanzaa. And, you know, we talk a lot on this show and both of you have been guests, you know, even separate and apart from our, our Kwanzaa discussion. And we talk a lot about social justice and what we can do to improve the society and ensure that there's equality and, and justice. Can both of you share your thoughts about how Kwanzaa is related to this struggle to achieve social justice and to build a better world? Let me just say that for anyone who is interested in gaining a, a deeper uh, understanding of the, the, the meaning and the purpose of Kwanzaa, I, I would um, highly recommend Dr. Karinga's book uh, because he goes into such um, detail about, uh, of course, each of the principles and, and how they relate to uh, as you were asking uh, about uh, April, the social justice issues. And one of the things that he talks about is he talks a lot about principle and practice, that um, the practice is centered around that we must have the principles. And the practice um, is how the principles are manifested. So the principles alone without the practice really are not very meaningful. And so he ties in that practice through each of those principles and the social justice issues then uh, become a part of that, that if you really um, uh, understand what those principles are and you really make every effort to practice uh, those principles, then you can't help but uh, contribute to uh, the resolution of our social justice issues. They're totally tied up uh, in, in the principles. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I would add to what Professor Wright just said was that uh, for those of us who have used uh, the Nguza Saba, for example, as uh, a framework for how we do social justice work, it's almost like uh, a model of how you should live your life as a social justice activist. And if you employ those principles day in and day out, 
then it automatically forces you to do what's right for your people. You can't go wrong in following those principles day in and day out. It's uh, almost analogous to, um, uh, and I hate to use this as an example, but uh, it's it's like the Bible in some respects. Uh, if you if you if you if you follow those principles, uh, then you will do good. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, since you said that, then uh, just what are those principles uh, that uh, that uh, make up what uh, you have described as the Nguba Saba? Uh, yeah. that uh, Dr. Karinga has uh, created? As I said earlier, like the first one is uh, umoja, which means uh, uh, unity, uh, unity within uh, the community, unity within the family. Uh, the second one, and I'll, I'll do the first uh, maybe two or three and then ask Dr. Wright if she wants to add the others or we can go through it together. Uh, the second one is uh, Kujichagalia, uh, which means uh, self-determination. And I, I really like that because uh, it gives us an opportunity to make sure that we are, we determine for ourselves what's right and what's good for us as African people. And then the third one would be Ujima, uh, collective work and responsibility. Uh, I love that one because if we work together to uplift our community, then all we can have is a great uh, and beautiful community. And the last one that I will uplift is uh, Ujamaa, uh, Cooperative Economics. And I push that one because if you can, if you can uh, get your people to support uh, Black businesses, then that forces us to become even more independent. Every other group of people have their financial way in which they support their people. For us, it's always been a challenge, but uh, Ujamaa, collective work, cooperative economics rather, is to me the backbone of uh, how we sustain ourselves as a community. And I'll defer to uh, the professor for the last three if she wants to. Okay, so uh, I'll just touch on them because I'm April. I'm sure you're coming back with some more detailed questions. <laughs> but um, uh, Nia is the uh, next principle, and Nia is uh, all of the principles tie into each other. But Nia is one of those um, that is sort of, sort of like a thread running through because you have to know what your purpose is in order. Um, to be able to carry out um, the other principles and, and to know how uh, carrying those out in effect serves the purpose. And so uh, so purpose, again, is sort of like one of those, those tie-ins. And then of course, Coomba, which is um, creativity, cre the creativity aspect of it, uh, the, the, the emphasis more is more on um, leaving our community in a better way than, than what we found. And when um, Dr. Karinga talks about that, he reaches back into ancient Egypt and to some other early African communities as examples of what that means. When he talks about over time, and, and he used one example of where during the reign of some Pharaoh, that that person didn't have that understanding of who he was. And so things just kind of fell apart 
And then the um, uh, subsequent uh, Pharaoh made the comment about how, you know, she had come back in and, and basically made it better, you know, put things back in place, put things back in order the way that they should be. And so what he's saying is that it's not something that's simplistic, it's not new, it's something that's been with us always. Uh, this whole idea of things are going to happen. And so it's going to be uh, our responsibility and our responsibility generationally to then uh, do our part to put those things back together. And, and in particular, that's where I think we find ourselves in this moment, you know, really having that need to put restore and put things back in order. Um, so the uh, Coomba then, and then of course we have um, Imani, which is faith. And again, Imani is one of those two where uh, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe that, that we can do uh, all of these um, things. And so Imani to me is another foundational uh, principle that would uh, enable us to uh, carry through with the others. And many of these uh, principles have become names that uh, people use for their children. Uh, so you will often uh, find, you know, you know, uh, Nia, Imani, uh, that's name. Uh, you don't find Kujichakalia, uh usually as a, as a name. But I think you, you make a great point on the tie-in of all of these uh, principles that uh, end up with a kind of a holistic person, holistic uh, community, and a holistic world that's uh, seeking to uh, progress. Uh, moving uh, forward, um, how 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 do you celebrate it? Though I mean, we have these uh, principles. Uh, Lenny said that you know each night uh, you can devote, or each day you can devote to a particular uh, uh, principle for a discussion, uh, for an evaluation of your practice and activities that you've engaged in over the years, or that you plan to engage in. Uh, how do you do that? I mean, how is that done such that it doesn't become boring uh, over a uh, seven-day period? Children, uh, at least when we were, when our children were growing up, and it's still true today with uh, the families that uh, we celebrate with. Like I said, I'm looking forward to uh, to next week, and uh, their children who have now their own children. So these are grandchildren to us. Uh, they play a central role in terms of the, uh, the celebration of uh, Kwanzaa for families in particular. And for those uh, who are skilled in education, uh, having children make things, for example, uh, drawer or whatever, having them involved uh, in activities uh, at home uh, makes it makes makes children want to be a part of the uh, activity of uh, the presentations that are going on uh, the other piece has to do with uh, the discussion if it's about umoja starting with the first principle uh, what I've, what we've found is that 
our people are are truly interested in conversations that uplift our our race. We are under constant uh, attack, and this is an opportunity for uh, the family to engage in constructive conversations about how we can strengthen uh, our personal families and the communities. So the opportunity just for that kind of conversation to occur, uh, we uh, we found, and I'm sure that those who are participating uh, in Kwanzaa activities that I don't know about will, will say the exact same thing. They find it very refreshing because the rest of the year you know, you're not uh, focused on uh, things that uplift your family per se. You're struggling with uh, the day-to-day uh, issues of how do we get through the day rather than reflecting on what are some of the ways in which we can make our family even stronger or more in, uh, in particular, we're concerned about how can we make our community stronger? What is it that we can do to uh, uplift our community? What is it? What are we doing uh, or not doing that would make our community stronger? So these are kind of these are the kind of conversations that can occur and do occur during the discussion of a, a principal on a given evening, and before you know it, the entire uh, you know hours have gone by, and the conversation is so rich that people don't even want to uh, end the conversation. But there comes a point in time where you just have to sort of draw the line and sort of end it. Those have been my experiences because, again, I know I'm being redundant when I say it, but the richness of the conversation, because it doesn't happen but once a year, uh, is what draws people to uh, want to have and engage in uh, continuous discussions about a particular principle. And some folk, uh, depending upon, you know, how the flow of the conversation is going, they may not want to just focus on that one particular principle. They may want to just move to another principle because there's something about what they just heard that they would like to share regarding another principle that uh, they would like to, you know, sort of discuss with uh, the family or with the group. Yeah, and um, that, you know, helps to underscore why it's important to have seven days. It's like you don't want to end the conversations. There's so much to talk about. And hopefully one of the things that we'll get a chance to talk about before we um, end this segment is how we can incorporate this daily as opposed to just one time a year. Uh, There are also some symbols associated with Kwanzaa. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Mary, we'd like for you to share the different types of symbols and what they mean and how they're incorporated in the celebration. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. We have here with us in our Zoom studio, Mary Wright, a former Dean and Professor of Law at NCCU School of Law, and Leonard Dunstan, President Emeritus of the National Association of Black Social Workers, a board member of the Black World 21st Century, and the National Convener of the Black Family Summit. We're going to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We'll be right back.
Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I'm currently a 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in civil rights and constitutional law, dispute resolution, tax law, or justice in the practice of law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market ready. More information about any law degree program is at 919-530-6610. My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour about Kwanzaa. And we have with us here in our studio, Mary Wright, a former Dean and Professor of Law at NCCU School of Law and one of our beloved colleagues and Leonard Dunstan, President Emeritus of the National Association of Black Social Workers, a board member of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, and the national convener of the Black Family Summit. Right before the break, Lenny was sharing with us how Kwanzaa is is oftentimes celebrated um, throughout the seven days, and there are some symbols. So we've talked about the seven principles. There are also some symbols that are used throughout the Kwanzaa celebration. Mary, can you take a moment and, and share with us what those symbols are, what they mean, and how they're used throughout the celebration? Yes. So uh, the Mkeka is the, the mat uh, that would go on the, the table and while the mat is generally a, a straw mat, um, as Brother Dunstan mentioned earlier, oftentimes you, you can have the children involved, of course, in these activities where they're creating um, some of these items. And the mat would be one of them. You know, there, there are books with instructions on how you can uh, create um, a mat. The children can make it. So the mat or the MKCA represents um, the foundation the foundation of you know the family, the foundation of the community. So it's representative of that. And then you have the Messiah, which um, and that would be your fruits and vegetables that you would put on the table. And the um, Messiah represents the crops because we talked about this being in line with the harvest celebrations. So that's the role that that uh, would play. And then you have um, the Panara. Uh, which is the uh, candle holder for um, the uh, seven candles. And uh, Dr. Um, Karenga has described the Kanara as being representative in some ways of the stalk of corn in that it uh, represents the, uh, the, the parents within the family. It would represent the parents and then you have the vibunzi, which is the corn 
and uh, and what you do as part of you know setting up the um, the display is that you would have as many ears of corn as you do children. They are representative of the number of children in the family. And he also describes how there's that connection between the Kanara and the Vibunzi because you have the Kanara rep representing the stalk of corn and the Vibunzi being the corn that grew on the stalk. And that corn would then continue to uh, replicate itself and eventually form another stalk of corn. And so that's that continuation general, generationally of the family. So you would have the, the corn on the table representing uh, the children. And then you would have the zawadi or the gifts. And of course, with the gifts in this instance, um, it's not, there was um, a lot of emphasis on trying to get away from this commercialization uh, in the sense that you would go out and just, you know, just buy, buy, buy. And the idea here is that first of all, gifts are not just forthcoming. Uh, they're supposed to be earned. Um, so that's how that would come about. And then the nature of those gifts, again, there's emphasis on books as um, the Zawadi or the gifts that would be books, that it would be something handmade. It's not something that you're going out spending a lot of, of money on. So you have the Zawadi and then you have the Mishuma Saba, which would represent the seven um, candles. And of course, you have the one black candle in the center, uh, the three green on the left, the three red candles on the right. And as part of that celebration, you start by lighting the black candle. And then each day you would uh, alternate starting with the green on the left uh, between the candles. And again, this, this represents that opportunity for that participation by the children. And so, Herb, you were talking about how do you keep it exciting, but that's part of it, that they are looking forward to the excitement of being able to light the candles and, um, and then talk about uh, each one of the principles in conjunction with lighting the candle each night. So um, those are the, um, the basics of the, the items, but uh, there are also two more that uh, Dr. Karenga talks about that you could include in that display. And one would be just a some kind of a placard or poster representing uh, the Ngusa Saba, that you just have that written up and that could also be part of that, as well as the Bandera um, or the, the red, black and green flag, which um, of course um, was initiated by Marcus Garvey, but um, over time there were some slight changes made into the, um, um, how the colors were uh, uh, discussed. And so he talks about uh, black, uh, red and green uh, as the colors of the flag. And that's something else that could also be displayed. Um, but those would be optional items that could be included. You know, one, one of the things that uh, always indeed father to me was the connection between uh, the growing strength of the family and uh, the growing strength of the uh, community. Uh, because without a strong family, uh, you can't have strong communities. And I think that that's something that we see uh, present uh, today. 
uh, is that uh, there is community uh, disintegration, destruction uh, that is going on because we've gotten away from this notion of strong families interacting with other strong families to create this sense of, uh, of, of, of communities. You know, you, you talked before about uh, the things that uh, drew you to uh, Kwanzaa uh, to, uh, to celebrate. Uh, how do you see the importance of Kwanzaa today, uh, given our upscale communities uh, that we're living in, uh, I guess, prosperity that we have uh, enjoyed on some levels and prosperity not enjoyed on other levels. Uh, how do you see the importance of Kwanzaa and the principles today to apply in uh, bringing our communities back together so that they can uh, move forward and uh, protect and defend us? Well, if I could you know, comment on that. And one of the things that, that uh, Dr. Karenga talked about when he was talking about the principle of Ujamaa, he talked about the um, importance of when we talk about cooperative economics, that it's about working collectively for the benefit of the whole and how uh, you can't benefit individually if the whole is suffering. And if the whole is not suffering, if the whole is benefiting and you are part of that whole, then you're going to automatically benefit. So it's about that holistic approach. And so when you know, if you talk about these communities and how we have splintered in certain ways just based on economics and the status and that sort of thing, he talks about how um, it's not the individual achievements that we uphold. So if someone um, accumulate some money. And I think that that's something that is unfortunately prevalent in our community right now, that we uphold um, persons just based on their financial resources. And he's saying that, you know, one person, a handful of persons who are achieving financially, that that is of no benefit to our community, unless the entire community is somehow a part of that effort. Uh, it's not about the individualism, it's about the group. And so one of the things that I feel that we could do is that we could you know, find ways to help people to understand um, that that's not what you uphold. It's not the individual and how much money that person has accumulated, but it's about what is the connection between what that person has and how that person is then uplifting uh, the other members of the community. I certainly uh, concur with uh, Dr. Wright's assessment. Uh, this is the opportune time, meaning Kwanzaa. It's again, I know I sound redundant, but it is the only time of the year where we can have these kinds of uh, in-depth conversations. Uh, the rest of the year, you know, we are engaged in our own individual pursuits. But uh, now is an opportune time, Kwanzaa season is an opportune time for the family and the community to uh, have the kind of conversation that you just heard uh, the professor enunciate. And I, I think it's just worthy of uh, reiterating that 
it's the collective that we are focused on and not the uh, the individual. And the sad part is that until we have uh, these kinds of discussions, which is what Kwanzaa allows us to do, the conversations never occur. And uh, it's unfortunate that that's what's happening, but it speaks to how, how, how much we've lost in terms of our, our understanding of who we are as African people. We are a communal people by nature. And, uh, but unfortunately, uh, some of us have gotten to the point where we look at uh, our quote, individual successes as being the way in which we measure success at the expense of looking at what's in the best interest of the collective. And uh, she, I can't overemphasize what she just said. It's, and this is what Kwanzaa does from my perspective for us at this point of the year and the time. It gives us an opportunity to really reassess what are the value systems that we should be pursuing. And from my perspective, uh, the Nguza Saba is a value system. If you look at it in its totality, it's a value system that uh, we can begin to introduce to other family members who have never heard of the whole concept of uh, Kwanzaa and uh, elements of it that they can begin to apply to their lives that will enrich them in ways that they have never thought about. So I just want to uh, just uh, really lift up the points that uh, the professor just made in terms of the collective uh, reasons for us celebrating uh, Kwanzaa is not the individual that we want to celebrate, but the collective that we want to push forward. And um, Linda, you've mentioned a, a couple of times that this is, you know, the one time of the year that we have an opportunity to really focus on these principles and how we can improve our society. And Mary, of course, emphasizing that we need to focus on the, the community as a whole and not um, ourselves as individuals. We have a, just a few minutes left. Can the two of you share some suggestions on how we can carry this philosophy and mindset and this focus uh, beyond Kwanzaa? So we have these wonderful family celebrations. Um, any suggestions on how we can keep this in the fore of our mind on January 2nd and throughout the year? Well, I'll, I'll jump in right quick and say that for those of us who are members of organizations, uh, I think it would be healthy if we could begin to introduce early on in the fisc in the uh, beginning of the year uh, the concepts and the principles of the Nguza Saba to our uh, organizations and see if there are some uh, ways in which they can incorporate them. I'll use the Black Family Summit as, uh, as an example. Uh, we use the term uh, rather than just talk about it being uh, the leadership being just the leadership, we use the term the Ujima uh, leadership team. And uh, what that then suggests to them, because I explained to them, well, I asked the question, do you know what Ujima means? And once they hear, oh yeah, collective work and responsibility, that begins to uh, ingrain in them that, okay, we need to do this together. Uh, it's a very simple concept, but from my perspective, it, uh, it introduces them and sort of, uh, it's like an uh, appetizer. Uh, you give them a little bit of this and then you add more as the year goes by. You don't throw everything at them at once. 
you uh, tease them, for the lack of a better term, and uh, then introduce gradually other the other six or seven principles, or six principles of the Nguza Saba. And the same thing is true for uh, the, the concept of ma'at, uh, the seven uh, principles of ma'at. You, you do it uh, incrementally, not all of a sudden. That's just my suggestion. So um, whenever um, um, Omoteka Guama Zema, which was an African-centered school here in Durham, when it was open, one of the things that we did was that we incorporated the Nguza Saba into the curriculum at the school. And so um, that meant that the children were daily exposed to the principles. They engaged in um, uh, the Harambe ceremony at the beginning of the school day where they had to gather in the circle, uh, call out the names of you know elders, ancestors, um, and uh, with you know principles like uh, Kuomba, um, you know focusing on reciprocity, the importance of um, teaching the children how to mediate their differences, um, how to things that they could do to engage uh, to make the community better. Uh, Ujama, we taught them about um, the black businesses in the community, the school. Uh, transacted business with those businesses. So they saw that we were doing and modeling what that was all about. So um, I, I think there are all kinds of ways that we can take this throughout the year um, in terms of making sure that it's not just something that we gather for the seven days and we go through the motions of the principles. We you know, articulate what they are but at the end of the seven days, we were right back to you doing the same thing. And that's why I believe that that reaffirmation uh, is an important part of it, because if we really get into that as part of the ceremony itself, um, the rites as part of the discussions uh, that Brother Dunstan was talking about, then it means that next year when we gather, we're going to ask, okay, we're talking collectively, but individually, we need to be able to say, this is what I did, you know, last year. This is how I carried out X principle. Not talking about what you should do the upcoming year, but what did you do last year? And so I think it forces us to be um, accountable uh, to carrying out the principles. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I, I think those are two great words for us to think about over and over again, that reaffirmation and that accountability. So I know what I will do with my family is remind them that next year we will be asking each person, okay, what have you done throughout the year to live these principles? Unfortunately, we are out of time, but we can't thank both of you enough for taking time out of your busy holiday schedule and sharing your thoughts about Kwanzaa with us yet again. This is one of our favorite shows. We love being able to revisit this this very impactful cultural holiday and to remind ourselves of the importance of building together as a community. Uh, we have with us here in our studio, Mary Wright. She is a former Dean and professor of law at NCCU School of Law and Leonard Dunstan, who is the national convener of the Black Family Summit and also president emeritus of the National Association of the Black Social Workers. 
We, of course, would like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your time with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you've learned something and that you have been motivated, encouraged, and inspired. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.